hey, this is good. Well, let's pray, and let's ask God to meet us in the word this morning. Thank you for these testimonies of your faithfulness, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you rejoice over us to do us good with all your heart and all your soul. And Lord, I pray that you would do that now in in empowering your word to strengthen us and to encourage us and to open up our minds and our hearts to new dimensions of who you are and what you're up to. And I, I need your help, Lord. Give me the heart that that I long to have as I preach and the wisdom that I need and help me to be in accord with your word and do a mighty work here, Lord. Unleash your power through the scriptures, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, I wanted to start off uh, this morning just kind of having you think about the fact that, um, that, that none of us have chosen to be born, right? None of us consciously chose to live here on planet Earth. Isn't that right? But here we are. Okay? We're all here. And, and it makes sense just to look around and just say, okay, now, where did all this come from? Why am I here? What's this all about? It's an intelligent question to ask. And here we are, planet Earth. Where did it all come from? And if you stop and just kind of, kind of sit back and try to see the big picture, there's really only two categories of answers you know, from the macro perspective. Everything may have come into being by chance. It's one possibility. That is, chance, random actions and interactions from matter over time, right? Everything could have come from chance. Or the other option is that everything came here for some reason or for some purpose with some kind of meaning. Either chance or reason, all right? Now think about this reason option. If everything's here because behind it all there's a reason, there's a purpose, then that means that behind it all there's a personal being, right? Because only personal beings operate in the realm of reason and meaning and purpose. So that means behind everything there's some personal being who must be big enough to make all of this, wise enough to make all of this. So we're talking about God. So, I mean, are you following me? As I think about it, it's either chance or it's God is the explanation for everything that is. I think that's just reasonable. You've got to go with one or the other. Now think about the chance option. There's some real problems with saying that everything that's here has come from chance. And the biggest one that impacts me is that there's things we experience every day in our lives, things I experience or things you experience every single day that can't be accounted for by saying everything came from chance. Let me just mention two of them. One is every day you say that's right and what that person is doing is wrong. Every day we say that. But if everything that's here, I mean, everything that's here is just because of chance, what's the possible basis for saying this chance bubbling up is right and this chance bubbling up is wrong? If they're both from chance, it doesn't make any sense to say that there's right or wrong. It's just chance. Another example. We all go through our days with a longing for meaning or for for purpose or for significance. And we we believe that there's meaning and we crave that and we feel meaningful at times and so we live knowing that there's meaning. But if everything's from chance, then there is no meaning or reason or purpose. It's just all chance. 
So if you just stop and think, chance, God, because there's things we experience that can't be accounted for by chance, I think the most reasonable conclusion is that everything that's here is here because of God. So, who is God? Um, What's God up to? What's God's story? And that's what we want to be talking about over these next weeks as we're moving into a new series, which I've called The Story of God. That's what we're going to be heading into. And I just want to start off this morning with the first question, that is, where does God's story start? What's the beginning of God's story? And to answer that, look to Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. I'd like every single person to have a Bible. The Bible's the most important words you're going to hear this morning. And we're going to look at a lot of verses, so let your fingers do the walking, okay? You're going to have a lot of finger work to do today. I'll give you page numbers, but we've got a lot of scriptures to look at this morning. But let's start with Psalm 90, verse 2, which is on page 496 in these Bibles that we passed out. This is a psalm written by Moses. Most of the psalms written by David. This is one written by Moses. And look at what he says in verse 2. Again, this is page 496 in the Bibles we just passed out. Psalm 90, verse 2. He says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God from everlasting talking about everlasting past. Okay. Eternity past to everlasting eternity future. God is God. Now think about that before Anything had been created, going back as far in time as your mind can take you, before anything was created, God has always been. Just God. Forever. Just God. That's where the story of God starts, with God who has always been. There's never a time when God was not. As far back as you can think, God has always been. Now that, okay, are you there? Whoa, hang on. It's going to get better, even worse, all right, better, whatever. So what was God doing before creation then? If, if from before creation God has always been, what was he doing before he created? That's what I want to focus on this morning. And it's amazing how much the scripture tells us about what God was doing before creation. I think it's important for us to know. So let's start with John chapter 17. This is page 903 in the Bibles that we passed out this morning. John chapter 17. There's two places in this chapter where Jesus talks about what was happening before creation. This is a prayer that Jesus is is praying. He's, He's talking to God the Father. He's praying, and we can listen in on his prayer. And look at this first verse John chapter 17, verse 5. Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So before the world existed, before creation, Jesus had glory 
with the Father. Now Jesus also talks about the Holy Spirit in many different passages. So I think we can, we can conclude that before the foundations of the worlds, before creation, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had glory. So what does that mean? And this word glory, it can easily become a cliche. Glory, glory, whatever. We must not let it become a cliche. It is one of the most important words in the Bible. Just for fun, I, look, I checked out how many times it's used. Over 380 times in the Bible, this word glory is used. This is a huge word to understand. So what is, what is glory? It's not complicated. Glory is it's the shining forth, it's the display of greatness. That's what glory is. When you see greatness shining forth, that's glory. It's, here's the illustration. How many of you saw that YouTube, I hope some of you saw it, of those guys in Norway who were up on the high cliffs with parachutes and those wingsuits. How many saw that? Uh, not quite enough. I, Jesse, you should have showed it to them. That would take too much time. Anyway, it's kind of an amazing thing. They jump off these amazingly high cliffs, and they've got these wingsuits, and it's like they're, they're like flying. It's just they're going a long ways down. This one where there's this little hill, this guy going, shoo, and right over there, this thing opens up, and it's just, I just keep going, whoa. See, now, what you're seeing when you see something and say, Whoa, that's glory. You've just seen some glory, okay? Uh, anyway, so not enough of you saw that. I hope you're feeling it a little bit with me. But that's what glory is. And God's glory, as much as I was saying, whoa, to those Norwegian guys with their wingsuits, God's glory is infinitely greater. Let me give you an example. Let's just take God's power. I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will give you just a little taste of the woe in thinking about God here. But let's just take God's power. You can get a little feel for God's power when you think about the size of the universe because God created the universe and he sustains the universe. Okay, so let's just see if we can get a little feel. I heard John Piper do this and it was just so helpful for me to, to think this through. Think about the Milky Way. Okay, here's a picture That's on earth looking out through the Milky Way. The Milky Way is the galaxy that we are in. There's 200 billion stars in the Milky Way. 200 billion of them. Our sun is like one of those stars. There's 200 billion little solar systems in the Milky Way. Okay? Now astronomers tell us that the Milky Way is 100,000 light years across. Okay, you got that? 100,000 light years across. Okay, that's just totally mind-blowing. Okay, what's a light year? Let's just boil it down. A light year, this is easy, is 6 trillion miles. <laughs> oh, got it, got it, got it. Okay, what's 6 trillion miles? Here, I, I just tried. Here's how you might be able to get a feel for it. If you're going to travel around the world, that'd be 25,000 miles. Okay, so you get in your car this afternoon, see you guys later, and you head east, okay, and you're driving around across America, and then you stop and you get in the boat, and you, more days across the Atlantic and Atlantic of Europe, drive all the way across the Eurasian continent, come to the Pacific, get in the boat, back here, okay, 25,000 miles, okay, that's, that's a trip around the earth. So one light year is 240 million trips around the earth. Kind of don't lose it. Hang on, okay. One light year is 240 million trips around the earth. 
And the Milky Way is 100,000 light years. So the Milky Way is 100,000 six trillion mile light years. Uh, The Milky Way is 100,240 million trips around the Earth in size. It's just unbelievable. And scientists tell us that in the universe, there's over 50 million galaxies like the Milky Way. Okay, right? Okay, now, that sense of the power of God to create with a word that and to sustain that, whoa, okay? Just a little glimpse of glory. I feel just a little bit of the whoa. So that's some of the greatness of God's power shining forth, hitting your heart, hitting your your spirit, hitting your your eyes. Whoa. Okay, so from eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had glory, glory of amazing power, the glory of sovereignty over everything that was, the glory of perfect wisdom, flawless goodness, absolute perfection, the Father, glory, the Son, glory, the Spirit, glory. That's what was happening before creation in eternity past. So what did this mean for them? Okay, here they all are having glory. You can see in verse 24 of John 17 what this meant for them. Jesus is praying. He says, Father, he's praying for us. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So before the foundation of the world, God the Father loved Jesus. God the Father saw Jesus' glory said, whoa, loved Jesus. Remember one afternoon, uh, I was watching my son Brad play Little League Baseball a couple years ago, a number of years ago. And, uh, and I hope I'm not embellishing the details, okay? But I'm pretty sure this was like the last inning. And I'm pretty sure they were behind. And I'm pretty sure there was other guys on base. And I'm pretty sure that there were two outs. And I'm pretty sure that the count was pretty high. It was one of these amazing moments. Now, I would have loved my son Brad if he would have struck out, okay? I would have absolutely loved him. But this pitch came across the plate. I was sitting like right behind him, and he just nailed it. And it went right over the fence. And again, I would have loved him if he would have struck out, but there was a dimension of whoa, excuse me, that I felt when I saw it. It's like, this is an amazing thing. And so multiply that by like infinity, And that's what's in the Father's heart towards the Son. He sees Jesus shining with glory, power, wisdom, goodness, perfection. He says, whoa. But again, this isn't just Jesus towards the Son. God the Son, Jesus, God the Spirit, glory. The Father is just like, whoa. He loves the Son. He loves the Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit is beholding the glory of the Father and the Son and saying, whoa, and the Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And Jesus the Son is looking at the Father, whoa, and the, and the Spirit. Did I get that right? Yes, whoa. And so Jesus the Son is full of love for the Father and the Spirit. And so from eternity past, what you have in the Godhead, in the Trinity, is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, loving each other as they're saying, whoa about the amazing glory that they equally share as the Trinity together. That's what was happening before creation. So, another way of putting it is what this means is that from from eternity past, before creation, God has always been full of joy. Let me show you a scripture. You may have never seen this before. Maybe you have. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. 1 Timothy 1.11. This is page 991 in the Bibles we passed out. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. We're going to break in halfway through the sentence here. Read the whole context later on today if you want to get the whole flow of thought. But I think there's one phrase I want you to catch and see what's going on here. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. Here's what Paul writes. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Paul's gospel has to do with the glory of the blessed God. Now this word blessed, I wish that the translators would have translated it differently. The word blessed is is just too broad in the English language. There's two different words in Greek. This Greek word is the word joy. Joy. So Paul's gospel has to do with the glory of the joyful God. God is full of joy and from eternity past has been full of joy as he is, as the the Trinity are loving and rejoicing in each other's perfection. They're saying, whoa, over their infinite glory. That's what was happening from eternity past. See, too many people think God is kind of grumpy or bothered or impatient or just kind of frustrated. Not the case. Couldn't be more wrong. In fact, look at, here's a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Here's how he put it 250 years ago. Edwards is one of my heroes. Listen to what he says. It is evidence by both scripture and reason that God is infinitely, eternally, unchangeably, and independently glorious and happy. Why? Because from eternity past, God has been fellowshipping with intense, joyful love in beholding and delighting in the glory shared equally by the Trinity. Now, think about that. So from eternity past, God has been full of joy. Fullness of joy in the fellowship of the Trinity, which means that that God has never had any needs then. God is not a needy God, which is really a crucial point to get. And you can see this is spelled out explicitly in the Bible. Look at Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. That's page 926. Acts 17. Makes a world of difference in your theology and your life if you think God is needy versus full. And look at what we read here as Paul is preaching Acts 17, 24 and 25. 
The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. See, a lot of people have the idea that God is kind of lonely before creation. God was lonely. God needed some friends, wanted some companionship, thought, I've got to create some people. I need some friends. So he created a world, created people. God's all about relationship, but it's not relationship because he needs friends. It's not relationship to meet his needs. It's relationship to meet our needs. It's flowing that way. Now, don't conclude from the fact that God has no, des- no needs, that God has no desires. Okay? But it's not desires to meet his needs. It's desires to flow out in love and goodness and giving and mercy and compassion. God is like a, I think Edwards talks about this someplace. God is a fountain. A constantly flowing, never stopping, gracious, merciful fountain of goodness and blessing to all who will come to him. Constantly flowing, constantly flowing, constantly flowing. You come to him tonight, he's flowing. Tomorrow morning, he's flowing. Tomorrow afternoon, he's flowing. Constantly flowing. He's always giving, always giving. Well, don't we need to give? Well, there's a sense in which we give. But like David says, First Chronicles 29, 14, if I get this, he says, who am I? And who are my people to to give as generously as this? For all things come from you. And from your hand, you've given to us so we can give to you. It's from God. Everything you give is from God and it's going to receive back from God. God is the constantly flowing, never empty, constantly giving fountain of goodness. No needs, not lonely, not grumpy, full of joy from eternity past forever. Okay? Now, if that's true, then why did God create? I've already kind of spilled the beans a little bit on that. But if God has no needs, why would he create them? Seems like a lot of trouble. Okay, if everything's going fine, you're full of joy in the fellowship of the Trinity, why create? And what we see in God's word is that God created so that he could display the woe of his glory so that he could share with you the joy of beholding his glory. That's why God created. To display his glory so that he could share with you the joy of beholding his glory. Let me give you some scripture. Psalm 19, verse 1. This is page 456. Psalm 19, verse 1. It's a great psalm to memorize. The heavens... Declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So why did God create the heavens? To declare, to display his glory. And we've gotten a little taste of that, right? Thinking about the Milky Way and the universe. It's like, whoa, that's why God made it so big. Right? Why all that empty space out there? So that we this morning, November 8th, 2010, could say, Whoa, when we talk about how big the universe is. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. This is page 786. 
Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. It's a short book. See if you can find it, if your pages are different. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Did you get that? Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. This is why God created the earth. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Woe. Okay? As the waters cover the sea. So that's the purpose of the earth. It's land, it's oceans, it's history, the rising and falling of civilization, all that's happening all around the globe today. The reason God created the earth was to display so it could be filled with the knowledge of his glory. So that's why God created the heavens, display his glory, the earth to display his glory. Why did he create us, people? Turn to Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. How are your little fingers doing there? Look at these verses, okay? I want to hear more pages flipping. Don't get lazy. Don't get lazy on me. Okay, Isaiah 43, 6 and 7, page 603 in the Bibles we passed out. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. This is why God created people. Here, the prophet Isaiah is talking about, is, is quoting God who is going to bring his people back from exile. And listen to what he says, Isaiah 43, 6. God is talking. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is huge. This is why you were created. For God's glory. Out of the overflow of his joy, he made you so that he could display to you his glory and share with you the joy of his glory. That's why you're here. So that you can get in on the joyful fellowship of the Trinity that's been happening from eternity past. Now this is crucial for you to understand about yourself. You are wired in such a way, you've been, you've been made in such a way, and, and God's glory is the supreme joy, and you've been created so that your supreme joy, your highest joy, your most satisfying joy, your most full joy, is in one place, beholding God's glory. And the joy of knowing him, other joys aren't wrong. He, he likes you to have lasagna, and oh, that's good, that's, that's good, and likes you to see sunsets, but the lasagna should direct you back up to the one who made taste buds and tomato paste and Italian sausage. And, and the sunset should direct you to the one who made sunsets, okay? So God's glory is the ultimate joy. And you were, you were created with your mind and heart and feelings and emotions put together in such a way that the, your infinitely highest and lastingest joy is going to be beholding God's glory. Those of you who've experienced God's saving work, you know what I'm talking about by experience, don't you? You've tasted. You've tasted. It, it's like you're, uh, there's, there's something called top fuel drag racing cars, okay? And uh, top fuel drag racing cars only run on methanol fuel, Okay, their, their peak performance is only accomplished when they're running on methanol fuel. If you put in diesel, uh, not so good. Put in mud, definitely not so good. Okay, You're the same way. Your highest joy only comes when your heart's running on the glory of God. 
and we try to substitute other things, and we're disappointed again. I mean, listen, those of you who aren't following Jesus yet, you've been disappointed long enough. You've had plenty of time to see that it's not there anywhere except beholding God's glory in the face of Christ. So this is why God created to display his glory out of the fullness, the overflow of his joy. Father, Son, Spirit, let's, let's create a universe where we can display our glory so created beings can share in the joy of our glory. Yes! And there was a universe. But I'm getting ahead. That's next week, okay? That's why God created. Okay, now... But you look at the world around you. Is that happening? Massacre at Fort Hood this last week. Horrifying things happening Halloween night. Richmond. Cancer. Evil. Sin. False religions. Is this purpose happening? We've got to raise another question. So what is God's plan for doing that? How is he going to do it? Is he doing it? Are things going according to plan? Now, we're going to be, going to be covering this plan in the weeks ahead in more detail. Okay, We're going to see how it involves... I mean, the, 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 there's this whole story. There's the fall. There's a, a moon worshiper named Abraham. There's God choosing a nation, putting it in the center of the nations. There's second person of the Trinity being born of a virgin. So there's, there's this whole part of the plan, but this morning I want to focus on what I think is the center of the plan, the focal point of the plan. And to see what that is, look at Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Page 910 in the Bible just passed out. Acts 2, Acts is right before Romans, right after Luke. Acts 2, 22 and 23. Peter's preaching. Day of Pentecost, and listen to what he says, Acts 2, 22 and 23. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The cross was part of God's plan from eternity past. And the cross took place because of sin in the world, right? That's why the cross took place. The reason Jesus was crucified was because of our sin, to pay for our sin. Which means that the fall and the entrance of sin into the world and evil were no surprise to God when he created because the cross was part of his plan from eternity past. See, see, in some mysterious way, and there's mystery here, God purposefully allowed, I, used, I chose those words very carefully from some guys I read who are much smarter than me, he purposefully allowed 
the fall, sin to enter the world, because, you had a reason, because what would most, whoa, show his glory would be the cross. Because, you can see God's power, whoa, God's wisdom, whoa, God's perfections, whoa, but nothing else shows God's love in the terms of mercy, God's love for unworthy, undeserving people, like the cross does. The cross shows you God's love for sinful people like you and like me. So think about this. Just kind of play this out in your mind. If you're you're trusting Jesus, here's what's happened. God has infinite power, glory, woe. He's God. He's made the Milky Way and 50 million of them in the universe. Okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And, And Jesus, I'll just tell the story in terms of me. Jesus looked down upon me. He foreknew what I was going to do. He he looked ahead, and he saw that I was going to turn my back on him and rebel against him knowingly, profane his glory knowingly, turn my back on him again and again and again and again and again and again and again. He pours out goodness to me, displays himself to me. I turn my back again and again and again and again and again. And all that I deserve is wrath. That's what I am worthy of in myself. That's just the truth, gang. That's what the Bible teaches. It's not good for the ego. Glory. I need a lot of and I need I need more hammering of my ego. And Jesus looks at me, deserving only wrath. And Jesus and the Father and the Spirit, as they as they made their plan, Jesus said, I'm gonna become a man. And I'm going to die on the cross. And Father, I want you to, to put the wrath that Steve Fuller deserves, I want you to pour it out upon me. I want you to pour that wrath out upon me. And so as Jesus goes to the cross, that is an amazing display of his love for me. Paul says in Galatians 20, I, I live my life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So I look at the cross, and I look at Jesus, and that is, whoa, look at his love for me. He's taking wrath that I deserve upon himself and paying for me. He was beaten and scourged and crucified because he loves me. And then the Father, God the Father, it just busts me to think about it. God the Father sees me as he looks ahead and sees my sins, sees my turning my back again and again and again and again, and all that I deserve is wrath. And the Father's willing to, to, to see me and then to see Jesus. And the wrath that should be poured out upon me forever, the Father pours it out upon Jesus, his only Son, whom he has said, Whoa, and loved. You are my begotten, only begotten Son, and you I am well pleased that the Father be willing to pour wrath that I deserve out upon Jesus, his son. The cross, then, is an amazing picture of God the Father, God the Son, their their love for me. There's this, I mean, you can say, woe about God's power, and you should, and his justice, and you should, and his righteousness, and his sovereignty. All that's woe. But the big woe of all is his love for you on the cross. 
You deserved, I deserved to be destroyed forever. Jesus took that destruction upon himself, absorbed it fully in himself. The father poured that destruction out upon his son. It was absorbed in his son. He did that for those he was going to save. And so there's this display of love. The highest display of God's glory is the love shown in the cross. And the only way our hearts can be changed and we can be forgiven and transformed so that we can share the joy of beholding his glory is through the cross. As you trust the cross, it changes you. And that's why at the center of God's plan from eternity past was the cross. The cross. Okay, now what does this mean for us? Let's give you two, two conclusions. First, if you're not trusting Jesus Christ, I just want to plead with you. Surrender your life in trust to him today. We sang that song, Surrender. So powerful this morning. But please, if you're not trusting Jesus, surrender your life in trust to him today. Trust him. Look at his love for you. Look at the love of God the Father, God the Son displayed in the cross. And understand, you've rebelled against God and you're facing his wrath, but he's made a way for forgiveness to be accomplished. And wrath for your sin will be expressed. Either it was expressed 2,000 years ago on the cross or it will be poured out upon you. Those are the only alternatives. It will be poured out. So please, right now, trust Jesus Christ, surrender your life fully to Jesus in trust. Trust him. Trust him. Turn to him. Trust him. Look at his love for you. Do you see his love for you? Look at him. Trust him. Please trust him. And then second, if you are trusting your life to Jesus, here's just a challenge. Set aside time regularly This is one of our rhythms, I guess. Set aside time regularly to behold his glory. Behold God's glory. Set aside time where you're doing nothing else except feasting on the glory of God, especially as it's revealed in Christ through the cross. That's the joy you were made to run on. Okay? Don't seek to be satisfied with any other joy. That's the joy that's going to satisfy you. So live for him, in him, through him, for him. So set aside time. You're opening up the scriptures. You're praying. You're meditating. You're pondering. You're falling to your knees. You're worshiping. You're beholding his glory. Set aside time every day to behold God's glory. And then as his glory is revealed to you and as your heart is filled and as you're comforted and as you're encouraged and as you're strengthened and as you're satisfied and as you're filled, then move out into your neighborhood with the glory of Jesus shining from your face, in your heart, shared in your words, and speak of Jesus to people in your neighborhood, workplace, friends, the city of San Jose, the South Bay. Let's do that. Let's stand together. And let's pray. Please, Father, I I pray for your power, your power, Lord, to be unleashed and that you would subdue pride and egos and 
all the things, the excuses that keep us from you. And I just pray that you would pour out salvation today upon people here who aren't trusting you. Maybe people here who have been going to church all their life and have thought that they were, but in truth, they're not. Please, Lord, I pray, pour out your saving work. Reveal your love through the cross, through your son, Jesus. Please, Lord, I pray that you would do that. And Lord, I pray that those of us here who have been trusting you, but who've been been turning from you to, and in truth, we've been seeking our joy in other things. Lord, would you break the power of those idols now? Would you break their power, Lord, I pray? And would you incline our hearts back to you? And would you give us fresh trust in Jesus and a fresh woe at your glory as revealed in Jesus through the cross. We're just blown away that the reason everything's here is because you have chosen to display your glory so that we could share in the joy of beholding your glory and that the the chief way you display your glory and accomplish your glory is through the cross. What kind of love Loving God is that. We're just blown away, God. And we want to worship you. Surrender our lives afresh to you right now.